Welcome to another episode of The Student Manager. It's Fonger News. And joining me today is Dr. Melinda Mock-Greenberg. She is a Harvard-trained child psychologist and faculty member at Tufts University. Yes, we'll talk about Tufts too, who provides expert advice to parents and children and their education. She also works with families on improving educational outcomes for their children in both private and public schools with the goal of maximizing a child's success. So welcome, Dr. Melinda Mock-Greenberg. I'm excited, and I'm sure my audience listening is excited to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here today. So before we get into it, we always like to talk about our sponsorships. This is, again, a public service trying to get picked up by bigger platforms, bigger sponsorships. But right now, you could Venmo me at Airfonger. That's right, Venmo at Airfonger. I just got a donation of $500 last week. Can you believe that? So it's booming. We get about 200 downloads every single episode, and it's growing. But I want to bring you on, and the reason I reached out to you, interesting story, right? Mental health is so huge. The impact of the pandemic of mental health. So let's get right into it. You're at Tufts. What are you seeing out there with your students and what are you guys are doing about it? I'm, I'm so glad to be talking about this really critical topic of mental health for students uh, because I see it both in my, in my work as a teacher at Tufts um, as well as in the work that I do supporting families. Um, for kids, preschool, all the way up through college. And what we've seen in the last um, couple of years, we're really in the third year of, of academic disruption for schools, is a tremendous rise in the need for mental health services across ages and for all kinds of issues. But in particular, we're seeing a, a very sharp increase in uh, kids and teenagers and young adults presenting with anxiety and depression, and I think sort of a low level of trauma, uh, given um, everything that we've been through with, with the pandemic for the last two years. Right. I mean, think about it. We're in our third year, and I, and I remember mm -hmm. vividly when my daughter at Washington was a freshman and, and they shut down on that March 7th. She said, hey, we're, we're done for like two weeks and then my daughter mm -hmm. in high school at the time, a senior, they like celebrated saying, all right, we get a two week break and here we are two and a half years later, right? And you're seeing depression, anxiety, isolation. So first, what advice do you give to a parent? Because most of my audience is parents that are listening as well as students because the student manager helps with the college search and admission process. So you're seeing it from the high school mm -hmm. all the way up to college. What one advice, like if someone only had 30 seconds to listen to and you can give them a great tip to a student and parent, what would it be? Um, I would say be available. That the biggest thing that parents can do is be a presence for their, for their kids. Sometimes that involves helping in finding other resources, therapists and counselors who can be available. But as a parent, be present, make the phone call, send them the text, um, reach out, letting them know that you're there, you love them, you've got their back, and no matter what they're going through, you'll be there in the journey with them to the end. That's great advice. Are you seeing more counseling given 
at the, let's say, high school level as well as at the university college level? Or is it in the last two or three years? Is there more counseling or is there less? There is absolutely more counseling that's being provided and more that's being requested. I would say that there are not necessarily enough providers and counselors. And so there's more demand than we necessarily have clinicians for. I, but the, the, if there's any silver lining in the last couple of years, it's that there is much less stigma around reaching out for mental health services and much more acceptance that everybody needs help and support and that we've got, we have tools, we have trained people, we know what to do to be able to help kids through a tough time. Let's address the big elephant in the room because especially with my two daughters going to uh, college and people that are listening to this, to me, when I heard the word mental health, anxiety, depression, uh, and we've had this conversation before, it kind of just went over my head. As a parent, I, you know, uh, people that know me, I just said, suck it up, right? Like, what are you doing? Just, <laughs> it's, it's life. But as I, especially in the last two or three years, I know it's out there and it just seems more open, should we say, or are, are, are <laughs> Is this generation more open to it than, let's say, someone in their 40s and 50s and 60s? Absolutely. And I'm seeing students encouraging each other to seek out counseling. I had one college student that I was working with who said that it seems like everybody comes to her with their problems. And she said, go to the counseling center. It's included in your tuition. Just reach out. They're there for you. And so students are supporting each other in being able to use these valuable resources. And they're talking openly about their own experiences in working with therapists and counselors. And the more they do that, the, the less there is the stigma associated um, with reaching out for some, a little bit of extra help. So you talked about parents just being supportive, sending that text, maybe doing a phone call. Matter of fact, I just sent my daughters, both Valentine's Day packages, right? And they asked, they mm-hmm. said, I said, yeah. be on the lookout. And they said, what is it? I said, it's a surprise. But what, right. what as a student, what, what can students be doing um, maybe with their peers when they're in college or even at the high school level? Or how do they communicate with their parents? If somebody's listening and they might have anxiety, depressed, or they're isolated, what's some good advice you give to students? I tell students to be able to be comfortable enough to tell somebody. And sometimes for a variety of reasons, people aren't necessarily telling their parents everything that they may be thinking or feeling, but there's often a trusted person. For example, at school, there may be a teacher that they, that they feel connected with or counseling services through their high school or college. And that it's important to reach out and tell somebody because we can't carry all of this burden by ourselves. We're not made for that. We're a group, we're a group oriented people and we need to reach out. I often kind of use this term with my clients. I tell them connection is the cure, that being connected to other people and being in relationships and talking with other people goes a long way to helping to reduce that depression, anxiety, and sense of isolation. So connection is the cure. And I mean, you see it on both ends at Tufts. What what are some maybe situations you've been in where you can say, wow, that that was really different, unique, and maybe you you walked that student through, helped them, that might help others? 
Is there any like story or experience that has stood out maybe in the last year or two years? I think that what people don't necessarily always realize at the college and university level is that your teachers and professors can be that guide. So I have absolutely been in a position where I've had some concern about a student recommended that they see that they contact our counseling center and they've been apprehensive. In that situation, I actually can reach out to the counseling center, let them know that I'm concerned about a student, or I can reach out to the dean's office, let them know, or the person's academic advisor, and just say, you know what, keep this person on your radar. I don't know if other people are concerned or not, but I want to make sure that they're okay. And so we have a huge safety net built into colleges and universities. It's just somebody needs to know that the student has in some level of distress. And once that happens, we have a whole infrastructure to put into place to support the students. And you know what, doctor, uh, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm finding more about it with both my daughters being in universities because we get the parent and family emails, what's going on. And I didn't really know what, what I'm finding out is at a university, at a college, anyone that you want to go to, mm-hmm. there is a big support system. You think high school had support systems. Mm-hmm. It seems like college even has it to a, a further extent. They really want to keep the parents informed, safety, health, and especially in the last three years, this mental health, the impact of the pandemic has been a huge opportunity where people can get more familiar with it and then take advantage of it. Right. That's right. That's right. We, um, it's tough. We frequently get emails from the administration saying our students are under stress, be mindful of this or that be flexible in this area, pay attention to this. If you see signs of stress or distress, here's who to contact. So there's a lot of communication that's happening behind the scenes that students and parents may not necessarily be aware of so that all of the faculty and staff are are united in, in being able to know where are the resources and how to be able to access them to support students or if students come to us looking for those resources. Now, In your position, do you see more students, not only at the high school uh, lower levels and then in college, do you find more that are depressed, more that have a lack of motivation in the last two or three years? And if so, how do you get them out of that? It's a challenge. I, I think that there are many students that we were seeing um, in the past year when so many uh, schools were at the high school level and at the college level were primarily remote classes or partially remote. So maybe you're in the building some of the time, but we're remote for the other parts of the time. And I think that remote learning was not effective enough in terms of being able to keep kids motivated and invested. And I think the reason for that is that We like to be social learners. And if you could just teach people on a computer or just teach people by having them do asynchronous worksheets or activities, we would have moved in that direction in education long ago. But we're social learners. We like classrooms. We like discussion and conversation and partner work and small group work and projects. Those are the things that keep learning interesting and keep students motivated. And I think that as we've been able to bring back more and more of that this this year, that's actually been a big boost to that motivation that you're talking about. And 
for the audience that's listening, right? Because they're going through a time and we're trying to help students and parents with the college search and admission process. And we're going, that's why you're a great guest because you see it on both levels. So let's start at the the application stage, right? A lot of students have applied during the fall and in the last four mm-hmm. weeks, six weeks, right? December, January, just last week alone, I got probably 10 phone calls from friends that either their kid got accepted or got deferred from some of the universities that I'm familiar with. And they were asking for advice. They were asking for help. And I told them, I go, listen, you have until May 1st to make a decision. But a lot of times parents and students, they go through that peer pressure of, I didn't get accepted or I got accepted. So what do you see at the high school level and what do you recommend to students and parents that are going through this time of either getting accepted, deferred, or to the point of rejected to the college of their choice? I think that one of the big things that I see is that people have this idea that they should know and everything should now be uh, tied up in a neat bow and done and decided and they're on their way because the college application process is so stressful that they're looking for it to be over and done. But it actually takes months and months and months. And as you said, there's a whole process that even occurs after you get your acceptance of going to accepted students day or some of them have been virtual. So the process continues even after you get that letter. I think that what I tell my students is that there are thousands of colleges and universities and that what we want to do is be able to figure out what's the best fit for you, not necessarily the one that's ranked on a particular website or, or in a, it, you know, by somebody else, but right. what's the best fit for you? What do you want? Not just what major do you want to be, but who are you as a person? Um, who are the other students you want to be with? What's the type of faculty you want to be with? And let's find a good match that will make you happy and successful in life and not just kind of try and end the process in some way. And then continuing on, right? I, I mean, you're in mm-hmm. college. Is it normal now because there's so much more anxiety, lack of motivation, where students, this is in college, where college students mm-hmm. are missing class because either they're depressed, they're isolated, whatever it might be. How do you help that type of student? Because parents that are listening right now, I guarantee your students are not like waking up on time and they don't want to go to class and sometimes they'll miss class or they may not just have that motivation to succeed. So how do you help that student out? It's interesting because I feel like through this pandemic that we're all burnt out. It's as if We've we've just already you know had this whole triathlon and we've been we've been running and we've been swimming and we've been biking and we're just exhausted from day to day life and I think that some of that comes out in being unmotivated or having some of these signs of depression which might be that people are sleeping more or not necessarily eating in a healthy way or not necessarily being taking care of themselves. Um, getting enough exercise, fresh air, time outside, uh, time off social media, all of those kinds of things. So one of the things that we really try and do, at least at, at Tufts, is we really keep a very close eye on who are the students who are not coming to class. And if their people are, for example, not coming to class or they're not handing in assignments, 
we'll I'll reach out to them individually um, and begin to kind of say, what is something going on? Is there something I should know? Um, and if that's not necessarily effective, then we'll get the dean's office or other people involved because those those things can be a sign um, or a signal that somebody is struggling, and we don't want to leave kids and students struggling alone. Well, I like how you talked about it being a marathon. Uh, you know, in Southern California, there is a study that just came out and it was printed in the media last week. American Civil Liberties Union of Southern California. They surveyed over 1,200 students, middle uh, school, middle grade, as well as high school. And in 2020, the percentage are the, the common theme and the common words were bored, stressed, and overwhelmed. And now you go back to mm-hmm. 2021, the words of stress was more replaced with tired. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the word uncertain, confused and frustrated were dropped because I think that was happening really in 2020. But in 2021, it just was a paradigm shift, right? And I'm sure you all saw it. Do you think high school administrators as well as college administrators, they're more flexible understanding with students and then, uh, I love how you said at Tufts, you really keep an eye out uh, for it and you watch, mm-hmm. but I don't know, is that, is, is that the case around with uh, all high schools, universities, you think administrators, educators are more flexible in working with the students because of what's gone on in the last two or three years? I would hope so. I, I don't know that that's the case everywhere because I certainly do talk with a lot of students who are continuing, especially in in high school, who feel tremendous stress and pressure. Um, I often, you know, and you probably hear about this too, this this sort of this 11th grade year, this junior year, there's so much emphasis on the grades count, the, you know, are you in the right AP classes? Are you this and that? And there's so much stress and pressure around one year. And 16, 17-year-olds, that's a lot for them to manage. And I think one of the things we can do as adults is to help students to be able to have perspective because adolescents don't, they don't necessarily have that future view. They think that everything is riding on this, this one AP history class that they're taking. And that's just not the case. Um, life is me- open to many more variables and opportunities than it is to, to having doors closed. So I think we can help to be able to through being flexible and being supportive, help our students to be able to have perspective so that they can continue on the journey and feel that we're supporting them as opposed to being adults that are adding pressure to their lives. You hit it right on the dot because even as a parent with my third child, I think we're a little bit more understanding, right? I think with the older child, we put so much pressure on them. And then especially in the last two or three years, uh, and, and and for what I do with my podcast being helping students and parents with the college search and admission process, I tell them it's at the end of the day, everything's going to work out. They're going to be fine. You mm-hmm. talk about fit. They're going to end up at the right school. That's right. You all listening yep. right now, you will all end up at the right school and you don't have to worry about the SAT, ACT, how many AP classes you took, what your resume looks like, what your uh, mm-hmm. you know, who you're sending it to because it all works out. And there's so many universities 
out there and everyone, and we talked about this, everyone, especially out here, wants to go to the sweatshirt brands. And the sweatshirt brands uh, are UCLA, USC, Notre Dame, Duke, Vanderbilt, Texas, Michigan, right? Okay, and then we're going to throw in the Stanford's mm -hmm. and Harvard's. But there's only like, right, Dr. Melinda Mock Greenberg, there's only like 20 universities that really only have that 15 to 20% acceptance rate. I mean, Tufts is even mm -hmm. hard to get into. And there's so many other universities that are out there that just relax. Absolutely. And, they're, and there's more than one right school. So it's not, there's not one place, one opportunity. And if you don't get that one, then, then things are disastrous. There are many right schools for somebody. And what oftentimes we can do is help students to kind of think about what is that best fit. But there's not just, it's not just one or nothing. There's one of many. So how do you talk to that high school student, junior and seniors that you go through that are so stressed, that have anxiety about that college? And then you already, you know, as a parent, obviously we want to talk about the support and giving to that high school junior or senior, but what do you see? How do you walk them through it to get them to just calm down and relax? Part of it is there's a piece of psychoeducation, which is giving them information, rounding out their thinking, hearing what are some of their beliefs. Some of their things may be myths that we can help to correct their thinking or offer them a broader perspective um, to expand their thinking. And then the other part is helping to teach them coping skills so that when they do feel anxiety, then they know how to be able to help regulate themselves and bring that anxiety back down to a manageable level. So it's this combination of psychoeducation and coping skills. That's a lot of what we do as psychologists or counselors. And you have something that you do consistently called parent talks. Why don't you inform my audience a little bit about what you do and what parent talks is all about? I have, it's actually a, a whole bunch of different topics. I, meet with different groups of parents around particular topics or conversations to help them to be able to build skills as parents in supporting their kids around something like anxiety or uh, depression or whatever they may be going through. And then I also do parent coaching where I meet individually with parents um, around their specific child and what are some of the things that they might be able to do at home in order to be able to, uh, you know, help, help. For example, helping your kids to find balance. I think where in, as a society, we, we can get out of balance easily and helping to teach kids healthy habits and finding that balance of work, social life, and wellness is, is something that we all need to be reminded of. Again, joining us is Dr. Melinda Mock Greenberg. She is a Harvard-trained child psychologist at Tufts, but also for the last 22 years, been an educational consultant and clinical psychologist. How can my audience, who most of my listeners are in Southern California, um, but are always willing to uh, you know, improve and enhance and find things to help their students or even them, get in touch with you, or how can they get a hold of you to find out more information? Well. I would love to have the weather that you're having in Southern California because I'm looking out at snow and ice and not as nice as where you are. Can I tell you, it's, it is going to be like 80 degrees today. 
Just really? saying. Yes. <laughs> that's that's okay. I'm not I'm not jealous. Uh, I'm telling you. Well, we'll get there soon enough. Um, my I have a website that's probably the best way people can reach me, and my website is called educationalconsultingpc.com. Um, and through that, there's a contact form so that if people want to reach out to me directly, they can they can fill that out and I'll respond. And, you know, we're talking about the weather. That's one thing we always talk about students and parents because uh, my daughter is up in University of Washington. It's gray. It's dark. It rains. And she mm-hmm. was just with me skiing in Utah. And uh, yes, she's living the life. But she said, Daddy, I mean. I love days like this because I got to get away from where I am. It's sunny and it brings her and her friend were just happy, smiling. They said, I don't even want to wake up sometimes out in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So as a parent, I mean, we're trying to do everything we can to support, Mm -hmm. but it it is if a, if a child like are those things they need to do just sometimes get away from where they are. If it's the weather wise, right? Like in the, in the East coast, it's snowing, it's cold, like just get away. Like what, what are some things to do if they can't get to the sun? If they can't get to a sunshine state, what do you offer? What would you tell parents to help their kids with? Or what would you tell that student to do? I think breaks of any kind are really helpful. And there's a lot that you can do outside, even in this weather. Being out in nature has a lot of very positive properties and being in, in helping to nurture us. So even if it's taking a walk in on a, a chilly day, um, but really giving yourself a break, leaving your study carol or your room or your laptop to be able to take mini breaks and then to also use the weekends as time to recuperate. Sometimes that might be that you might go and visit somebody. Sometimes it might be that you take breaks where you are and in explore a different part of your city, where your colleges or your town. But then I think even within your dorm or within your room, there may be things that you can do that can help to give you that boost. So one of the things that can really be helpful uh, sort of neurocognitively is color. And one of the problems we have in the Northeast is that in this time of year, things are kind of monochromatic. There's a lot of gray and gray and browns and whites. Right. So I tell people, you know, I tell my students do things like buy flowers, buy a plant, put up your your colorful Christmas lights in your room. Do something that brings some of that that brightness into your space because that will also be something that will help you to just feel better as well as just getting out of your space. Um, super helpful. I love that. I, I love those tips and advice. You know, I was on a parent service and health of, uh, call with University of Wisconsin last week. I just wanted to uh, try and get an insight of what they're doing out there. And she was talking about, one of the counselors was talking about signs, right? Like what are some signs of a student being maybe depressed or isolated or anxiety uh, maybe for a peer to help them or a parent to help them, like if a parent's listening, right? So those parents that are listening right now that have students in college or even students in high school, what are some signs of their student that may have mental health issues? Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that you would look for is if there's some kind of change in how they are 
acting, behaving, or talking to you. So if this is, if, if your child, if your student was always happy and outgoing and social, and they're now um, more isolated, reserved, quiet, not coming out of their room, that change is something that's notable. And we look for sort of three then key areas of change, duration, frequency, and intensity of the behavior. If you're seeing a change in, their, in your child or student's behavior, first we wanna say, what's the duration? How long has this been going on? Everybody has bad days or bad weeks, but if it's going on, if this behavior or change is going on for more than a couple of weeks, reach out to somebody. The other thing we'd then look for would be frequency. If you're having, if your child or student seems to be much more irritable, and that was not necessarily what their personality was like before. Um, and I mean more than just regular teenage irritability, but where everything is just getting under their skin, or if they seem to be prone to being tearful or crying or more easily upset. And if that's happening more frequently than it was before. So if it's happening on a daily basis or multiple times a day or multiple times a week, that would be something to, that a time to reach out to somebody. So duration, frequency, and then the last part is intensity. How intense are their feelings? If they seem to be uh, a little bit uh, tearful or upset over something that's happened at school, perhaps something in class or a friendship, that's one thing. And that may be typical for who your child or student, how they would respond. But if they are much more uh, upset in a more intensive way, and that's not characteristic of them, that would be another time to reach out, check in with somebody, see if this is something that you should be paying attention to. And as a parent, you did say, show that support, be there, but take it a little deeper. So you just told me some signs, you told me some symptoms. I've noticed this with my child. What should I do? Be specific. I would say that if you have any questions, begin to ask people who would know on a professional level. So it's often helpful to start with your pediatrician. Many pediatric practices also have behavior therapists or developmental pediatricians as part of the practice. Start with a professional that you know um, and who's known your child for a long time and tell them what you're concerned about. And I think it's better to start there than to start going on the internet and trying to look up things um, and information to see if, it, if there's a concern or not. Because if you begin, say, for example, with your pediatrician, then you that's somebody who can give you feedback as to whether or not there's something to be concerned about. Now, I am a college student or I'm a high school student. And mm -hmm. you are, let's role play. You are one of my friends, right? So now tell me some signs that you might see in me that I might be going through these same uh, mental health issues. And then as a peer, as a either high school peer or as a college peer, what are you doing to help me? Or what are you doing to maybe move me out of that state of mind? It's interesting, especially at the college level, because when you start out as a freshman, people don't know each other all that well. So you're still getting to know everybody. But oftentimes in many colleges, not always, but many times people are living in some kind of residential community. So you have an opportunity to get to know people faster and see all of their habits um, because you're all 
living together. So I would look at a few things that could be red flags. For example, if somebody is not going to class, if somebody is not going to work, uh, doing their work and doing assignments, if you notice excessive drinking, if you notice um, that somebody is making poor decisions, um, engaging in behavior that is not in their best interest, those are the kinds of things, because you might not know them well enough to know their inner character or personality, but those would be some outward behaviors that you might want to pause and say, is everything okay? Do you want to talk? Is there something I can do? There is that that simple act of reaching out and showing compassion and concern and empathy can often go a long way in connecting with somebody who's who's having a hard time. And what happens if they say, no, I'm okay, but you know they're not okay? If you're still concerned, then seek out the people, the whatever is that, as I talked about, sort of that infrastructure that's available to you. Sometimes that may be um, an RA, a residential advisor, a residential counselor who's living in the dorm. Um, sometimes that may be through uh, your university system. The, the, the deans are an abundant resource at all colleges and universities and very much want to be available. They can be the connection. You can actually call or email your dean with a concern um, and bring it to the, to the dean's attention who can then help to figure out, is there something that we need to be intervening um, here? Great recommendation, great advice. Let me ask you this. Um, with my both kids in college, I have probably five or 10 numbers of not only their good friends, but as well as their parents, the ones that we've met over the last you know, one to three years. Is that a norm or is that something you highly encourage? Because sometimes when we can't get a hold of our kids, I'll reach out to their friends or right or you just reach out to the parents and you check in. So what, what, what do you say about that whole process and how you're communicating with your friends, your friends' peers, and their parents? I think that's a great idea. I think that's just an added level of the safety net to be able to say, look, we're, we're here and we're checking in. And by the way, some, some teenagers and adolescents don't necessarily want that level of somebody paying attention. So what I would say as a parent to those teenagers and college students is to say, if you don't want me calling your friend's parents, you should respond to my text. Because if you're not going to respond to my text, I'm going to start the network going. So, you know, it's it's about having communication with your kids. And, and frankly, that starts at a very early age, setting up the the idea that in families, we communicate we work together, we have a family model, we have a language, we have a way that we connect with each other. That will continue from very a very early age well into the when your kids are adults. Right. Let's talk about FOMO, fear of missing out, especially with social media. And it can go all the way from high school to the college level. What do you see? How do we overcome FOMO? That is a that, that that's the million dollar question, and I feel like there's not some one big answer. It's often by talking with adolescents individually. But one of the things that I try and share with people are some some really kind of specific things. First of all, people only post on social media 
when they've got something really fun or exciting or what they think is kind of cool to share. Nobody is posting when they're sitting and reading a textbook and doing nothing, right? Well, I shouldn't say nobody, but not, not as often. So you're seeing a skewed perspective of what's happening in somebody's life. You're not necessarily seeing their entire day or their entire week. Having perspective around that can be really helpful. But it's very hard for all of us to not feel like, gee, that's really interesting, or I feel left out. One of the things that I try and do is talk with students about um, how to have a healthy relationship with social media. And there are a couple of things that I often suggest that they do. One thing is um, that I talk with them about limiting the different social media networks that they're connected to. They don't need to have several. Um, they can have a smaller number and, um, and know that their friends are going to need to be also in those same, uh, with, with those same social media outlets. I also tell them to periodically go through their friends and connections and remove people that they actually have no connection with anymore. You often see people who maybe they, they started uh, with, with some social media connection with somebody as a freshman in high school, and now they're a junior in college and they haven't seen this person in, in ages, but they're still kind of part of their friend, quote unquote, network. So kind of helping people to kind of call down that so that they're really connecting with the people that they want to be connected with and not necessarily everybody that they've ever known. And then the last thing that I often share with people is to periodically turn off your notifications. There is such a, a neurological reward process of feeling like I have to constantly check every time I get that, that vibration or that buzz that somebody who maybe I knew years ago has posted on some social media network and I get that, I, there's that immediate need to go and check. And that takes us away from doing something else. That takes us out of the moment of being in, in the presence of somebody that we're actually talking with or having dinner with. So I tell people, periodically, turn off your notifications. That doesn't mean you can't go check that social media. It doesn't have to be so constant where you are always looking to see if there's something new, have I missed something new um, that I need to see right now. Do it on your terms. In the last two and a half years, I'm going to bring up three topics. Tell me how much you've seen the increase and just talk, let's talk about that. So one is how many of your students have had more emotional meltdowns, panic, anxiety attacks. And then the last one, and I'm sure it, you know, it's an elephant in the room, suicidal thoughts, right? So what are some things that we can be aware of when we, hear about suicide because you hear these tragic stories of college students killing themselves. Matter of fact, one of my daughters up in her school, one of her friends, not a real, real close friend, but someone that was a friend of a friend, a freshman killed themselves. Mm. So it's out there right in high school. It is. Especially in the last two years. So does that come up a lot? How do we, how do we attack that? It's heartbreaking. Um, it is scary as a parent. It's, it is scary for each other as friends. We are definitely seeing a rise in 
Um, so in, in healthcare, we talk about that as, as sort of an acute presentation. We are seeing a rise in that acute level of intensity. Um, I think I read a statistic once that emergency room visits for psychiatric uh, emergency room visits for adolescents are up 300% um, in the last couple of years. And our emergency rooms are overflowing with don't you don't have enough space to be able for, for kids that are then uh, needing an immediate evaluation and um, are waiting then to go to a psychiatric um, inpatient program. So the demand, the need is is huge. Um, there's a lot to be watching for in terms of it. It, it is hard to cover it quickly because this is an enormous topic. And if anybody is facing it, it's, it is, it is serious and it is painful and it is, and it is frightening. One thing I think that I often talk about with teenagers is that sometimes a friend may say something about how desperate they're feeling. And then we'll add, don't tell anybody or this, it's not really that big a deal. And I talk with teenagers a lot about those. That's a secret you cannot keep. If you, if somebody says to you that they are feeling that it is would be better to be not living than to be living, um, tell somebody. That's the kind of thing to tell somebody, a teacher, a school resource officer, a parent some adults who can be able to assess the situation and access resources. I love it. Love that advice. Love that recommendation. Let's move to a happier topic as we wrap up. You're at Tufts University, um, obviously not in the mission process of it, but you've been at Tufts for 11 years. What do you like about Tufts campus-wise? Why should a student look at Tufts? Sell us on Tufts. Well, there, there are many things. Um, one of the things that I really love about Tufts is that it's in Medford, Massachusetts, which is a small city right next to Cambridge and Boston. So you have a lot of the, the feel, the urban feel. You have restaurants, you have cultural events, um, and you have Boston and Cambridge that are just such wonderful cities that are in such easy access. Then you have the campus itself that is beautiful and sprawling and you have part of it on the hill and then you have big glass research buildings and and uh recreation centers and the campus spreads you know street after street after street but i think that what i probably love the most about tufts are the people that i meet i have the most amazing students and i i don't think that that's just luck i think that there are great students who are there people who are interested, people who are passionate, people who are invested in all kinds of things, social justice and climate change and caring for each other and how to make the world a better place. And I, I see student after student who is striving for how to be able to make the world better um, in some way and use their education in order to be able to further that goal. And then you have this wonderful faculty that's there to guide and support them. So those are just a few of the things that I love about the campus and about the university. And I'm sure that those things are available many places, but 
Tufts is my home away from home. What's your favorite place to eat when you're on campus? Oh, my gosh. You know, that's a hard question because it's been a couple of years since I've eaten anywhere on campus. But there's a great little coffee shop that's just down the street, and we'll often meet there and have coffee and quiche, and I'll sit and talk with students or or faculty. So there's lots of places that are scattered all around. I don't want to name names just in case I would offend anybody else. (laughs) What's your favorite place to just be on campus? Uh, So my building that I teach in is slightly down the road from the main campus uh, on the road that's called College Ave. I'm very fortunate to teach in the Elliott Pearson Department of Child Study and Human Development. And in my building is a children's school. Um, And my favorite place to be is to be sitting there in the courtyard with all of these little children running around um, and hearing their laughter. And I was, uh, to say a very quick story, I was uh, in my class last uh, last week and my window in the classroom overlooks this courtyard. And right on cue, as I'm saying to my students, you know, it's great that we can be able to look out the window and see the kids running around and playing. And I said, sometimes they even come up to the window and they wave at us. And sure enough, this little girl comes running up <laughs> to the window and she knocks on the window and she's waving and she couldn't have been more than four years old. So that gives me great joy and uh, makes me just very happy to see all their little smiling faces. For those of you that are interested in Tufts, by the way, 15% acceptance rate. ACT score, you got to get between, it has to start with a three uh, for those of you that want to put more anxiety and peer pressure on you. But the ACT score is averages between 32 and 34 and SAT between 1390 and 1540. Again, 15% acceptance rate. You might as well put that in the sweatshirt brand category because that is a very hard school to get into. Uh, and I know when people talk about Tufts, we already know what schools are applying to. So you have the opportunity, uh, privilege, Dr. Melinda Mock-Greenberg, to being on one of the finer institutions academically in the United States. I want to say thank you very much for joining this podcast. You've given a lot of great insight, uh, recommendations to not only help students and parents, and that's why I wanted you to be on this podcast because I wanted to break it up a little bit, right? Normally my guests are students talking about real stories, raw stories of the college search and admission process. But at this time of the year, I like to just bring in different guests with different insights and you, you nailed it. You were great. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to, to talk with you today. And for those of you that are listening again, how can they get in touch with you? Give that one more time website. My website is educationalconsultingpc.com. And my name is uh, Melinda Mox Greenberg. And you can Google me and find out a whole bunch more about the work that I do. Well, that's what I did. I Googled uh, mental (laughs) health podcast education. That's how I came up with your name. That's a whole nother story in itself. I'm sure I will uh, get a lot of comments and, and feedback on this podcast. And we'll have to bring you on again. Thank you. I would love that. This has been wonderful. For another episode, again, of The Student Manager, it's Fonger News, out.